Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter season to you this Tuesday, May the 31st, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 7. Now it's getting real. Go into the ark, the Lord says. And can you imagine that moment where they're preparing for the waters to come from the ground and from the sky? And they, they, that door shuts and you realize that everything would be cut off from dry land. Everything that breathes will no longer breathe. You have that question mark of how long will this be before I'm actually going back to dry land? And it makes you realize the depth of brokenness surrounding them that there was eight of them left along with a ton of animals. What would that have been like? Because I don't know about you, but if I was secluded to my home, kind of like COVID for just a few days, I got really antsy. Now imagine you don't know how long it will be. This is why in Genesis 6 through 8, we definitely need to put our Christ goggles on. Otherwise, we might be led to despair. So we see that today. So open up your Bibles. Once again, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Jonathan Busher of Zion Lutheran Church in Mount Pulaski, Illinois. Pastor Busher, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, Pastor, uh, this is our first time together here on Thy Strong Word. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Zion. Yeah, very good. Um, well, I am uh, married to my wife, Sarah. We've been married for just about 15 years now. Um, and we've got five boys, and our uh, they're kind of stair-step. We've got four, six, eight, ten, and twelve-year-old boys. So they just got done All with... Right with school and they're <laughs> excited for summer. So, um, <laughs> that's our, that's our crazy summertime. But, um, yeah, my, um, I grew up in Iowa and as I think we found out already, I think you went to school with my two sisters out in Seward. Yep. Um, absolutely. <laughs> so that's the small Lutheran world for you. Um, and, uh, my dad, engineer John Deere, my mom, uh, a Lutheran school teacher and principal for a long time. A lot of my family members went into Lutheran schools um, and church work. So I get to kind of follow in their footsteps. Um, yeah. And then here in Mount Pulaski, um, we're not too far away from Springfield, Illinois, if people aren't sure where Mount Pulaski is. And this congregation has a church and a school, preschool through eighth grade. And They've been up and running for 171 years, so I get to mm. sit on the shoulders of some <laughs> really faithful people here um, in this place. So, like I said, we just got done with school, so we get to have a, catch our breath during the summer, but it's it's been a wonderful place for us. And Pastor, like you said, it is a very small world. I started, I went to school at uh, Concordia, Nebraska for one year. I was only there one year, but that's where I went to school with your sisters and your brother-in-law, Pastor now Pastor Liebig in Michigan. So it's a small world, and for you, our listeners, we thank God for those connections. I mean, it's amazing to think oh, about sure. you're 18, you're, you're 
kind of an idiot and and you meet people and the people still admit that they knew who you were or who you are. So that is a real <laughs> blessing to see how Lord's grace is sufficient. So like I said, I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, say hi to your your family, those who remember me and the Lord's blessings upon your whole family as we continue in ministry at Zion. So pastor, as we speak about prayer, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings and prayer on our study? Sure. Yep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the chance to gather together to study God's word. And you've promised wherever two or three are gathered, whether in the same room or around the world, that uh, you will be with us. And we certainly give you thanks for your servant Moses and the words that he had uh, written down for our edification, that we get to learn so much from your faithful servant Noah, um, but also the reality of the sin in the world, which brought about the flood, but also for your saving grace, which also uh, you have washed us in, in the waters of holy baptism. So once again, thank you for this day and all the wonderful blessings that we have received from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text, this is a fascinating part of Scripture. It's part of Scripture that many people know, Noah and the Flood. There was a movie about it, not a, I wouldn't say a really close <laughs> biblical account movie of Russell Crowe and, and others, but it is, I mean, it's, it's well-known in culture, it's well-known among uh, denominational and religious lines, and something that I think we often assume we know the whole thing, and so we don't need to read it again, which is exactly why we are digging in again with fresh eyes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and seeing Jesus. So if you have any questions concerning this, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. For this, we look at Genesis chapter 7. And Pastor, I think I'm going to, we didn't say this yesterday, but I'm going to just read all of Genesis chapter 7 to make sure that we um, hear all the words because they are so important. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we are keeping a good perspective on it as well. So let's begin by hearing the word of God Genesis chapter 7, when we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. And it says, Then the Lord Yahweh said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of heavens also, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two male and female went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, 
according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in and as God had commanded him, and the Lord Yahweh shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is our text today. Pastor, these, I mean, like I said, we've, we've heard this many times but how do we make sure we start off on the right foot this morning? What do you, how do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I mean, and kind of like you said, it's a very familiar text that, you know, one of probably the first things you learned in Sunday school, or if you had any uh, books for kids that were read to you when you were little, Noah's Ark was probably one of the first um, things that you got. Um, but it is kind of this foundational uh, portion of scripture really that, um, you know, I've kind of heard it said this way that th- the old Testament, certainly the foundation, you know, for the new Testament, um, the Bible that Jesus and his disciples used. But then if you take it a step back even further, really those first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, they're kind of the foundation for the rest of the old Testament. And then when we mm. take it back even to the furthest step, this book of Genesis really lays the foundation for everything. So we see even in this chapter, some of the patterns that will be repeated uh, throughout scripture, like the 40 days and 40 nights that begins uh, in this chapter. It's the first time we hear that. So it's uh, like you said, very well-known story, but also very foundational that maybe we can make some of those connections this morning. Um, to the other parts of scripture as well. Anything before this you wanted to to speak of? And and I, a lot of our listeners are not necessarily, you know, listening all the way through. So let's, let's go this way. Why even have a flood? Like what is God doing? Why why is this happening? Yeah, sure, very good. Um and yeah, as we read just chapter 7 by itself, it's really kind of the heart of the flood story. I mean, uh Chapter six is getting ready for it. Chapter seven is when it happens. Chapter eight is kind of the aftermath. Um, but even before that, I mean, since Genesis three onwards, we've had the fall into sin. Certainly had the incident with, you know, Cain and Abel um, and the the sin in the world, as young it as it is, relatively speaking, um, it's full of sin and, you know, unrighteousness as opposed to Noah. So all of these things have been building and building. Uh, and then uh, God simply says, you know, enough is enough that we need to 
do something about it. And thanks be to God that he does not leave sin unchecked, that he does put limits on the evil that mankind can come up with. And this is obviously a very clear indication of God doing just that. So that's kind of how we get here is uh, when God looks around, he sees evil and he mentions that kind of inner counsel where he says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I've done this. Sorry that I even uh, made these people because uh, look what they've done. And it's really sad where we, how we got here. And this is one of the, the, the great things that we learned yesterday um, from Pastor Gierke is, is this speaking about the language is so different than how we speak about God in our culture, for sure, and even in our churches. I mean, when's the last time you had a, a sermon that said, you know, Bob, God is really sorry that he ever made you. Amen. I mean, you just don't, you don't talk that way. You don't talk that way at all. And mainly because we have Christ. Part of it is our culture. You know, we're kind of the weird deism that we will speak of. God is this kind of a nice little happy guy up in heaven kind of thing. But it does show us the reality of, well, there needs to be payment for our sins. And, and it is right. very, very clear here that this needed to be done. The wrath of God was brought upon his people. And that's why if you read the flood account without Jesus, I mean, what a horrible, horrible, terroristic God that we have. Any, any thoughts on that as we look back with our Christ goggles, why it's important that we have the Christ goggles as we look at it? Any further thoughts? Sure. Yeah, that's so one of the biggest connections maybe we can make today, um, and we'll maybe go into it in more detail later, but just this, this judgment of really the whole world water is really a foreshadowing of the judgment day that is yet to come and how God certainly promised never to flood the whole world again. Um, but there's certainly other means by which he could do that. Um, but hmm. that this connection between this kind of end of the world scenario and the one that is to come in the last day, when Jesus talks about the last day, he's like, if you want to know what it's going to be like, look to what it was like for Noah. And there's kind of some surprising connections there, you know, both good and bad, what it means. But um, this whole uh, flood narrative, when we look at God, you know, and people have come to this conclusion in the past, it certainly looks like the God of the Old Testament, especially right here. He's just kind of this mean and angry guy that does uh, all kinds of horrible things. Um, but we kind of, in the whole narrative of scripture, if God is just and holy, then he can't just let sin go uh, unpunished. That would not be holy and just. He's got to do something mm. about that. But obviously, when he does something about that, when we talk about that, that's all about Jesus. We see God's wrath here in the global flood. And maybe we could say it like this. It's nothing compared to what Jesus suffered on the cross. The, the global flood was nothing compared to his suffering mm. on the cross. And that's that's what we have to be reminded of when we read something like this. That is a great way for us to um, keep those Christ goggles on. So, Pastor, I'm ready to start digging in. Do you want to dig in? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, so chapter 7, we'll reread re some of this, and we'll start with verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, 
for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, the seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. So, Pastor, what struck me in these verses, I want to hear your thoughts on other things that you have found, is he basically says, go into your, to the ark, you and all your household. And as I mentioned in the beginning, this is when it gets real. It's one thing to talk about a situation until you are knee-deep into it. Maybe it's you go to a new church. It's one thing to think about how great it would be until you actually have to go into that pulpit the first time. You know, or you, or it's great to think about being a, pa- a parent, but in, when that baby comes out, you're like, oh my, this is real. And I think that's what, you know, imagine the feelings of Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives when they shut right. that gate the last time, that, that last time that thing is shut. Now it gets real. Your thoughts on those first three verses. Right. Yeah. And that's um, an interesting way to think about it because, you know, when you get those butterflies in your stomach before something happens, you know, uh, and then it finally happens, you're really in it. It's kind of interesting to think like, how long was Noah anticipating this? Like how long was he working towards this goal? I mean, we already read that he's 600, so he's no (laughs) spring chicken here. Uh, He's (laughs) uh, uh, seen a lot, done a lot uh, in his life. Um, And, one of the things that God has already mentioned in his judgment for the flood, he says this phrase where he says, um, I'm not going to put up with humans for any more than 120 years. That's my <laughs> rough translation. Um, sure. And there's a kind of a debate about that, whether he means the lifespan of humans is now set at 120 or the other uh, interpretation of that is basically, Noah, I just set the clock at 120 years. And when that clock is up, the flood is coming. Um, Because if you look at the folks like Noah and his generations, even Abraham lives beyond 120 years. So either God was just giving us an estimate with that 120, or maybe he's talking about uh, the flood countdown. And so when Hmm. he sets that clock Maybe think of it this way. Noah has 120 years of anticipation. Um, We can, and I was trying to do a little bit of reading about this, that uh, his sons don't come until uh, about 100 years uh, before the flood. They've got to get old enough. They got to get um, married. You know, we talked about the son's wives. And so the actual building of the ark, you know, maybe 50 75 year project. I mean, that's a, (laughs) that's a long time working on one project, but absolutely. I heard you guys talking about going to the Ark Encounter. Um, how big that thing Mm -hmm. is. I mean, with that, I got to go, I got to go there as well, but for what they had to work with, um, that timeline is (laughs) Noah's probably thankfully and more than a, a year to work on that because it would be a huge undertaking to get ready for this. But like you said, all this anticipation, all this preparation, all this construction, all that. And finally, uh, he gets the message, it's time to go. And Hmm. I'm sure he'd be kind (laughs) of shaking with excitement just to think that finally all this is, is paid off. There's, there's something happening here. It's, um, it's time to go. 
And it's interesting as as you say that there's there's that reality where you're not quite ready to begin this, but you're just ready to do to do what you're supposed to do. Like you're not really you're not you're just not sure how this is all going to work out. But yet it's time. It's time, and we see that all the time in our all the time in our life. And you see that specifically when it says, "Go into the ark you in your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation." So once again, we we see this language throughout the Old Testament. It says that he is righteous and forth. Clearly, we go to um, Abraham, that when he had faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's Noah, and we don't know anything about how people reacted to him building this big ark. We don't, you know, timeline is, right. I think I think you, you gave a very good teaching on the timeline that what possibly could be. And, and what, like you said, if you go to the dimensions, it would have taken him that long to be able to do that. And it is it is time for him to get this done and he did it all in faith that the lord would provide and that's one of the great gems i think the dab of grace we see in all of this that the lord still sustained his people that they would believe in him and trust in him and he counted that to them as righteousness so um pastor anything else on that um those first three verses yeah sure and we we'll talk a little bit about about the animals later, but just to maybe yeah. highlight as it begins, you know, usually, you know, all the songs about Noah's Ark is about two by two, right? Um, but here we get this, you know, almost footnote that, you know, we had lots of pairs, but here we also have seven pairs. Um, mm-hmm. So seven pairs of clean animals and seven pairs of birds. And so as we'll see later, right after Noah gets off the ark and they do the sacrifice of thanksgiving to god that they were kept safe um if you just had a pair of animals that sacrifice would have been uh pretty limiting on what animals repopulated the earth but here we have seven pairs of those things and some of them are sacrificed right away obviously many of them go to repopulate the earth but so not only pairs there's also some that have seven pairs Mm, you know that's a good point and it's something i've always thought this about these particular clean and unclean animals that they bring on and what a what a what a terrible situation that that you have these other animals they get off the ark and they just sprawl all to the earth you know they're just they're just <laughs> living large and then these these sacrificial animals basically maybe they saw a glimpse of freedom all of a sudden boom they get sacrificed i mean it's just it's like this <laughs> awful situation for the animals that are there but there was a purpose for this to make a sacrifice to the Lord, as we see with Abram um, later on, we see with other Old Testament folks that when they were at that point where they were in a new place, they built an altar to give thanks to the Lord and to worship the Lord, which is something that shows, once again, that faith. And the Lord laid that out for them to be able to do that faithfully. So, Pastor, let's continue to move on. We have a few minutes before our break. We're, we're continuing in verse 7. And we will go, well, let's just go through five, or excuse me, verse four through five, excuse me. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord Yahweh had commanded him. So, Pastor, you mentioned prior to this, we kind of have some important numbers. You want to speak to that right now with the numbers that are given here in four and five? Yeah, very good. That's... um... 
there's kind of those special uh, Bible numbers. And if you have a study Bible, there's probably a page on the different important numbers in the Bible, like three or seven or 10 or 12. And, you know, here we had seven pairs. So we get that number seven. We've already had seven in creation. But here in the first time in scripture, I think, is where that 40 number comes from. Uh, 40 mm. days and 40 nights uh, specifically. And if you uh, just took a look at that number, there's many examples, but there's other things like uh, Jesus in his temptation. That's 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Um, of course, that's referencing back to the Israelites wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Moses is on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. So that not only is a repeated Bible number that kind of is set here, but oftentimes when that number 40 comes on, it's this time of testing or temptation. And it certainly was mm. for Jesus and the Israelites. Um, and I, I could imagine it would be the same for Noah, for hearing rain hitting the ark of the, the roof of the ark for 40 days. I mean, that would be a test. And now... He says, basically, he just rehashes, okay, by the way, everything that's outside that can breathe the air is going to die. And Noah still does all that the Lord had commanded him. So the door is shut. The reality is among us. And he still believes and trusts in the Lord. What is it? I mean, this is one of those that Noah, as we know in Hebrews chapter 11, he's just one of those great men of faith. Not because he was perfect, but because he had faith. What does that have to tell us? We have about a minute left before our break here, Pastor. How can we look sure. at Noah as a good example for all of us and the meaning of it for us as well? Well, yeah, certainly of the Old Testament figures, I mean, Abraham is upheld for his faith, certainly. But here just in these, like chapter 7 alone, and I think right before it in chapter 6, it kind of says this refrain that Noah did what God commanded him. You know, God commanded it, Noah did it, and it is this repetition of faithfulness that Noah did. And certainly we want to highlight that it's by faith that Noah did these things. It's not as if uh, Noah was saved uh, because he did everything that God had commanded him, but rather because of his faith, because of his uh, following of walking with God, that he does what God commands him. But certainly what an example that he did this for a long time, long commitment, you know, this lifelong walk with God. And he um, was faithful to God. And even if these requests seemed pretty um, out there, right, no one else was building a giant boat around him, but he did this uh, faithfully each step of the way. And what a, a wonderful example he is. And may we do the same. Right now, though, we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 7 with Pastor Jonathan Busher, and we will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. 
to learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 7 with Pastor Jonathan Busher of Zion Lutheran Church in Mount Pulaski, Illinois. And Pastor, let's continue to read a few verses. And I do, I do want to ask this question. As a pastor with a school, it's always a little tricky <laughs> to teach such a lesson. And this is why we give thanks for our Lutheran school teachers and pastors in, in a Christian school, how to really keep people on track with a story, the true story of the flood, because how easy is it to say, well, how did they get all those animals on? And oh, what about this? Where did they go to the bathroom? Da, 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 all this kind of stuff. Right. How do you keep it focused as we're going to do today? So just uh, I'll, this a little precursor to what I'll ask a little bit later. So verses six through 10. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons with them went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and everything that creeps on the ground. Two by two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So, Pastor, I'm going to go back to that question I was asking you. You know, as, as you teach children, well, your own children as well, um, how do we make sure that we don't get lost in a lot of those details? Like, well, how did Noah live 600 years? Or, you know, what about how did they store all those animals? And da 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 da. As you go to the ark, you know, encounter down in Kentucky, yep. it gives a great, great revelation of how that could have been done, but we still don't fully know. Right. And that can get lost in the weeds. So, how do you keep focus as we look at these words about Noah and the flood? Yeah, no, very good. That's a great question because, I mean, it, it's certainly a, one of the, the Bible accounts that has all kinds of things written about it. Uh, people talk about it. I'm sure there's, you know, endless books about it. Um, and really, uh, kind of one of one of the jobs we have, have to do as, you know, in apologetics is maybe just give a, a sanctified suggestion about how it could have been. And like you said, we don't have to know exactly how we did it, but if we have a reasonable way in which it could have happened. That's kind of really all the work we have to do um, mm. to maybe talk to the skeptics that are like, it could never have happened, or it's it's way too big, way too small, way too long, whatever, that um, we don't have to spend our whole lives, you know, digging into these details, because then, yeah, you lose kind of the big picture. Um, and one of the ways to do that is to certainly see how the New Testament remembers Noah and what he did and, and the connections it, it, it makes to it. Um, and like I said, one of those is um, about Judgment Day. That's what Jesus connects it to. Uh, certainly Peter makes a big connection uh, to baptism. Uh, and, in, and in Hebrews, he's certainly remembered as walking this life of faith. So we can use the New Testament to kind of give us a clue about how to handle this and keep in mind the big picture as well. And this is a great reminder to us too, is there's two, there's two realities when we study the scriptures is one, I think a lot of times we need to stay laser focused on the text that's in front of us. 
but but also at the same time, what a joy it is when we're able to expand it out and to see the other places that references it. And this is a very important one as we see the ark, is that in First Peter chapter three, it connects it to baptism. As no one is family, we were saved from destruction. We are therefore saved um, uh, from destruction by Christ through baptism, which is just one of those connections that like, if I were to make up a homiletical idea, that might not be the one, but how powerful it is <laughs> to think about that when a child is baptized, you know, that this is of the same importance in the history and the salvation of God's people as the ark. I mean, that is like, it, it goes way beyond the cake you're going to have after the baptism. You know, this is just, this is <laughs> right. monumental stuff that is so, to me, so amazing uh, to, to think about. And any thoughts on that? Because this, this can be connected in so many different ways. So any thoughts on, on that monumental reality of salvation, the ark and baptism? Yeah, well, sure. And that's, that's something that we can maybe make a connection to with how the flood prefigures baptism because the reality of the flood is so much death and destruction. I mean, I mean, who knows how many people are on the earth at that time, uh, but it's a lot, right? And only eight people make it. And certainly uh, there's lots and lots of animals everywhere and only a pair or seven pairs make it. Um, just the, the violence and the death that happened. And that's maybe not something we often think about with baptism is, you know, usually you think of a cute little baby up in the front of church and, you know, getting some water. Maybe the baby starts crying because of the water. Right. Um, but when we learn in Luther's small catechism about baptism, he's saying when, when someone gets baptized, they're getting killed, right? The, the old mm -hmm. Adam, the sinful nature is being put to death. I mean, that's, that's certainly violent um, uh, imagery that happens in baptism and it's, you know, happening spiritually. We can't see it with our physical eyes. We just see a, a cute little baby often. Um, but that, that old man is being put to death and drowned uh, so that the new man can emerge and arise. So that's uh, mm. a good connection to the flood. And it brings us back to Martin Luther's flood prayer. And, and I encourage our listeners as we're going through Genesis six through eight, that you take a look at the flood prayer. You can go on Google um, and just look up Luther's flood prayer because it just speaks, and I'm going to just say a few words of it right now. According to your strict judgment, O Lord, or Almighty and Eternal God, you condemned the unbelieving world to the flood, yet according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls and all. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his hosts of the Red Sea, yet you led your people Israel through the water and dry ground, prefiguring this washing of your holy baptism. So it's a great reminder, not only he saved Noah, but also we die in those waters and we are washed clean in holy baptism. I and mean, we could talk all day about this, Pastor, but I do want to always remind our listeners, you are listeners, to keep this in the forefront as you lead these stories, is that, okay, they died and uh, they didn't rise again, but we died in Christ and rose again in baptism, and we will rise again as well. So that is, it's always keeping us in Christ. Pastor, anything else before we move on? Um, no, let's take a look at the next one. All right, so let's let's continue on. We'll be reading verses 11 
through 16. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, and on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the same very same day, Noah and his sons, Shen and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives and his sons of his sons, with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing and the creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded them, and the Lord Yahweh shut him in. So we, we get a description of what is going to be on this ark. How do you want to break that down? Yeah, sure. Well, let's kind of start at the beginning of that paragraph there. In, in verse 11, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, when we look at the calendar today, you know, it's May 31st. It's 2022. Um, but in, you know, the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, the way the prophets start, it's usually like it was the fifth year of the reign of this king. Like you kind of kept time according to the important guy. And here, uh, because it's, you know, so early, uh, time is kept literally with Noah's birthday. Like that's how you kept time. Uh, and so you see that here in Year 600, month two, day 17, that's uh, when the flood happens. And that's kind of crazy. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, but it's also significant that we have those time markers where we learn that they are on the ark. We're talking about those timeline things. They're, they're on the ark for a year and 10 days. Like it's that precise that it's not till year 601 of the second month of the 27th day when they get off. So they're not just on here for a week long cruise. Like they're in it for the long haul that they're on that boat for a year that they need to survive. Um, the other thing here in this verse is about that confirmation question where it says, you know, where does all this water come from? Right. Yeah, I mean, right, that's okay. kind of one of my yep. questions. <laughs> Mm -hmm, right where the 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 fountains of the deep come up the windows of the heavens were open um it's just a lot of water um and so i've heard it explained one way this is the first time that we ever hear about rain falling um Ah, and maybe maybe it rained maybe not um the way the garden of eden describes it's kind of like there was dew in the morning and that was kind of sufficient to water um But here, perhaps for the first time, uh, we have rain falling and maybe it's rained for centuries. Maybe it's the first time, um, but it would certainly be something that's never happened before. This amount of water coming out all at the same time. uh, Definitely something that's never happened before. And I'll say this, the last few weeks here in Minnesota, at least, it's rained quite a bit, and there was about a three-day process where it rained significant amounts. Like, it was one of those, it rained, it stopped, it rained even more, then it rained again. And I, from my memory, I don't remember a lot of this, at least where I've lived. And it's amazing to me how just those three days, 
how much flooding that caused in an area that really is not floodable. I mean, it's not, it's not like right. it's a, uh, there's parts of like where you used to live in, in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, that is very yeah. floodable that any amount of rain and you're under threat or new Orleans or whatever it might be. So these areas that's very floodable. So I can totally see that if it rained 40 days in a row, nonstop, right. which guess what God can do. Um, yeah, you could probably flood the earth. I mean, I, you know, it's just, I've seen it in only a few days where it, it gets kind of testy. Um, and at the same time, when he says that the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened in the movie, Noah with Russell Crowe, I've referenced this way more than I should, because it's just <laughs> not biblically accurate, but the few parts that I really enjoyed, one of them was you saw all the animals, they just came to the ark. You know, it wasn't sure. like Noah had to go find them and he had to do but God by his grace. And maybe this is what had happened. Maybe not. But more than likely, I would say this is probably what happened. The animals just came to the ark. Secondly, when it was time, it started to rain. And you could see right at that moment, water bursting out from the bottom like a fountain, you know, from the ground. And it was just bursting up in all these areas. And as the way the scripture speaks, that probably is at least relatively accurate to what it was that all of a sudden this water came from the ground and it's coming from on top. If you do that for 40 days, guess what's going to happen? The earth is going to flood. I mean, that's just how it is. You can see it. Um, you can feel it and so forth. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, just <clears throat> kind of the instance of it being like something you've never had before. And you mentioned Grand Forks. That's where our uh, North Dakota, that's where our first congregation was. So they yeah. had the, the huge flood in 1997 and people still talk about it like it was yesterday. But, you know, that's kind of one of those hundred year floods they talk about and how they had to, you know, start from scratch and rebuild and all those things um, that, you know, that didn't even hold a candle. I mean, you've seen the pictures of flood devastation and what can happen when it's in a small area. But uh, imagine what it would do if it was absolutely everywhere. I mean, just the utter turmoil on the earth itself um, is almost impossible to think about. It, it It's unfathomable, but kind of like you said, and I, th I think you, you've been saying this well throughout, is that we see these things through the lens of faith. So is it important for us to evaluate how they get the, all the animals there? Well, no, ultimately we trust it by faith, but it's really cool when you think about, wow, you know, this... This is kind of how that might have happened or the water coming up. And, and this is why the Ark Encounter is such a powerful thing. You see it through the lens of faith and you give thanks for how God could have done it. And also, once again, pointing us to Christ. So, Pastor, the rest of our time is just basically details. Two by two, they entered. Everything outside the breath of life were destroyed. And then it ends with, and the Lord shut him in. Any thoughts on those verses 11 through 16? Yeah, I mean, the one verse that I have highlighted here is that very end of verse 15, and the Lord shut him in. I mm -hmm. think this is in the middle of a chapter of death and destruction. I think this is a really good handle for the gospel, that it is something that you know God does. He takes action. He's the one who shuts him in. Um, and there's a little bit we could say about that first, you know, uh, it's, it's God that's, that's closing the door and shutting it in. So he's make sure that it's shut tight for sure. Um, but also that what is happening with the flood, this is God's 
judgment. It's God who said, you know, today's the day. Uh, even if someone showed up to the boat yesterday to join Noah, he could have gotten on. But today on this day, when the flood comes, the door is the door is shut and now it's too late. And that's kind of the connection we can make to the uh, day of judgment that is yet to come, right? Even if mm. someone were to come to faith the day before Jesus returns, that is certainly saving faith. But if someone doesn't realize who Jesus is until they see him coming on the clouds, God has declared that to be too late. Um, uh, God has set those time things. But another thing we can maybe say about it is that the Lord uh, shuts him in and it's not something that Noah has to do. You mentioned the the, yeah. the movie about the flood. A lot of times it's, you know, a very last second and it's drama, good for movie. Like they're, they're running up the ramp and the flood's coming and it's very, very dramatic. Um, but, you know, here we get this picture that it's God who shuts the door and maybe Noah and his family could hear, you know, people yelling outside, uh, but it wasn't Noah's decision. Uh, it was God's timing that closed the door and God is responsible for it. And, you know, that's just a, maybe a conscience uh, thing for Noah that he's not responsible um, for these other people. I did read about how it's an act of mercy and there was, there was a class and I've mentioned this a few times as we studied Genesis is there's a class about theology of mission. And when we look at scripture, we're able to look at the dab of grace that the Lord always gives. For example, Adam and Eve, the dab of grace is they actually kicked them out of the garden or else they would have lived forever in brokenness if they would have eaten from the tree of life. Or that the sin came and he provided clothing for them. Um, the The first shedding of blood in scripture that points us obviously to Christ. And here you see that act, that that dab of grace that in the midst of all this death, it is the Lord who is merciful by shutting that door so that those eight people would survive, that his the humanity would continue. And I like how you said it too, as Jesus says, I am the door or I am the gate, that we are able to see that as an understanding of salvation, not just shutting people out, but Matthew 24 says, you know, for the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until when Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came. So it will be when Christ returns. So you see, you see that kind of back and forth of the dab of grace and the law and those realities. But ultimately, we would see it as an act of mercy that he's the one who shut the door instead of Noah. And that that's what the Lord does for us is that he opens salvation to us. And he's the one who's merciful to us as well. Anything else you have, Pastor, in those verses? Yeah, I mean, just to maybe pick up a little bit about what you read there. In Matthew, when Jesus makes this comparison between Noah's day and the last day, is that, you know, <laughs> sometimes we get this depiction of the last day of the world um, being this like post apocalyptic reality where things are just terribly awful. Um, but the reality is, on the last day, there'll be people who have a wedding scheduled and they're inviting all kinds of guests and they're going to come in, uh, they're going to celebrate. Uh, but that's the day Jesus is coming back. And so uh, they're eating, they're drinking, they're having parties. Uh, That's what it was like in Noah's day. That's what it's going to be like uh, for us as well, that we confess 
the last day could be any day. And we just celebrated Ascension. Really, any day since Jesus ascended could be the day he descends again, that it comes mm. like a thief in the night. We're not um, necessarily anticipating something that's uh, so terrible you can't believe it. You're not even going to bother doing anything else except surviving. Jesus says it's going to kind of be like any other day. And that's why you have to be prepared because we don't know when it's going to happen. Let's continue on. We have about six minutes left in our time. Verses 17 through 24. And the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering the 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that was moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So, Pastor, according to God's wisdom, he pretty much eliminates any question about what animals survived. I mean, he just, I mean, the detail that Moses, led by the Holy Spirit, wrote, just in case someone's like, yeah, but what about those goats that go way up in high mountains? How about them? I bet they survived, <laughs> you know, or whatever it might be, right. or whatever kind of animal would survive. He eliminates all of that. And this is important as we look at the whole narrative, but anything else we want to highlight in those last few verses? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that's interesting um, is how completely covered everything is. You know, we get that data point in there that says the tallest mountain was covered up to 15 cubits deep. And a cubit's like a foot and a half. That's like 22 feet deep on the mm. tallest mountain. And one of the things they explain at the Ark Encounter is like, um, we can't necessarily think of the landscape of the earth as it is today, back in Noah's day. Like we can't go 22 feet above Mount Everest, for example. That isn't maybe the right measure that perhaps the geography is totally different, unrecognizable, right? When Noah gets off the Ark, it's completely different landscape um, that a lot of those mountain ranges would have been you know, formed in the flood. So. 22 feet above the highest mountain, probably not a Mount Everest thing, but what is important is that it says everything is covered. One of the criticisms of the flood, like, oh, that couldn't have happened. Maybe it was just a really bad local flood, right? We mentioned flooding in the areas we've lived in over our lives, that it is certainly a, a terrible thing, but a local flood doesn't really answer all the questions. I mean, you would have just picked up and moved, right? Like, Noah, just move over here, you know, for a couple of years on the high ground while I wipe out this. Like it's, you wouldn't need to build a boat unless everything was gonna be covered in water. And so he's uh, only gonna be saved in a boat. They can't just go up to the, the high ground. Um, and so when we see how much water it is, it can't just be a local flood. And one of the other interesting things that I love at the Ark Encounter, they 
talk about how, you know, after Babel, uh, the spreading of the people into the nations, that there's over 200 accounts in other civilizations of a flood. They've got mm. some kind of boat. They've got some kind of Noah character. They have all their, there's a lot of times there's animals in there. Um, they all have different details, but the fact that this account is in so many civilizations around the world, that should, you know, the epic of, of Gilgamesh is like one of the most uh, familiar outside of the Bible where you have a flood character, but that the story is so prevalent in the whole world that should point us back to the factual reality of this happening. You know, it's not just a flood that happened in the Middle East because there's a flood story down in Australia and there's another one up in North America. Like it's this uh, globally known event that happened uh, in the past. And so as you look at these days, of course, there's a lot of uh, miss, you know, how, how do you exactly look at this perfectly? So everything is covered. How does that all work? We're not 100% sure. But in case you're wondering, it's 22 feet above the tallest mountain that is there. Everything is blotted out. The waters have prevailed for 150 days. If you try to do the math, you know, it's probably over a year that they're basically on the ark. How is that possible? Well, you know, like anything, God gives us what we need. But as we look at all of this, Pastor, it is it is, is a story that can get lost in the details. When we look at chapter 7, what would you say is, how do you say it, a summary of what we have and what encouragement does that give us today as Christian people? Yeah, very good. I mean, the the thing we can point to in this chapter, certainly there's connections to baptism, certainly the connections that um, uh, Jesus makes about what it happens, but it's certainly um, something we can cling to where it talks about God's provision. And I want to highlight that here at the end, that how, um, how much God cares for the physical needs of his creation. Like he could have miraculously done you know, many, many things to figure this out some other way, but he uses uh, physical water to cleanse the earth. There's a real wooden boat. Um, the animals are, are have their needs met as, as well as Noah during this, this year period that God cares for his creation in a concrete, physical way um, and still does that for us today. Certainly we have floods and other disasters that happened um, but God makes his promises that he's going to be with us, that he is going to provide for us. And certainly those physical needs that he meets here and now, but also our spiritual needs for a savior. And certainly we look forward to the day when he returns and makes all things new, that this flood is supposed to be uh, a prefigurement of the final judgment where hmm. this flood uh, solves a lot of problems, but not the human heart, as we'll read later in chapters. But in the judgment day to come, he makes all things new, the creation and most importantly, our human hearts. And finally, sin and its effects are eliminated uh, forever. Uh, and what a wonderful thing to look forward to that is. Pastor Jonathan Busher of Zion Lutheran Church in Mount Pulaski, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 7. Pastor, thank you for being our guest. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 
I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.